Marketing to Soul Dancer, the host of Pay Me What I'm Worth. I'd like to welcome everybody who's listening in this evening. We've got a fabulous show lined up for you. And tonight, we're going to look at a common issue. And that issue is feeling stuck. Feeling stuck either at work, feeling it stuck in relationships, feeling stuck in life in general. We're going to talk about how we're going to get unstuck tonight. And to do that, I have a couple of wonderful guests with a lineup this evening. I have Laura, and her last name is Erdman Lunst. Did I say that correctly? You did. Yay. Laura <laughs> is doing something that I'm very excited about. She's one of the few people I know, few yogis that I know in the yoga world that has combined a powerful set of tools. Not only does she help people open up physically through the practice of yoga, but she's incorporated into her 20-plus years of yoga experience over 15-plus years of coaching along with that. And the reason why I say that that's exciting is over the years in my travels around the world, I've met a number of yogis who are absolutely fabulous in the studio, but once class, yoga class ends, it seems like that's it. And a lot of students sometimes as they're opening up and growing and learning in yoga, they need to talk. And Laura, you bring quite a background, over 1,500 hours in coaching experience to the table along with your yoga practice. You want to say just a few more words before we dive into some few questions? Sure. Well, you know, I think it's interesting when you, you the way you introduced me, and thank you, that was a very generous introduction, Saul. That was very, very kind of you. Um, but I think what you say is correct, is when people start doing yoga, things happen in their life. It's a catalyst for change. In fact, just to, to go along with our topic for tonight, it's a catalyst for getting unstuck. And for some of us, we've been stuck for decades. And mm -hmm. you're right, it's, it's, it, it gets things happening and people start having questions. And it can be, it can be challenging for yoga teachers to be able to successfully, shall we say, address those issues that do come up. So it is, I'm grateful I have that combination of services for my students because it does, I do find it quite helpful. And what I've also found is that over the years, I'm, I'm now combining so much more of my yoga in my coaching practice, and I combine my coaching practice in my yoga classes as well. So encouraging people to evolve and grow during our classes. There you go. Yum. Yum, yum. We're going to have a great time tonight. If you're listening yes, in, to dive right in, Laura, I'm curious, with over, oh, well, you're, you're going on over two decades worth of uh, practice now, what are you seeing as some of the primary stuck places with the clients that you're working with? Well, that's a great question. You know, it's interesting because I think... I'm probably going to come up with other responses as we go along, but the first thing that comes up with is anything that someone has, I mean, obviously the reason we stay stuck is because the other side is scary. To take that step over to the other side is a scary step. And so we choose to stay where we are because it's easier to stay where we are and doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it often has to do with some sort of life change that that person in particular has a fear around. So, and that's different for everybody. You know, some people leave relationships at the drop of the hat. That's an easy thing. It doesn't, in fact, it scares them perhaps to stay in a relationship. 
Other people may mm-hmm. find leaving a job is scary, whereas some people find that's easy. Um, so, you know, it generally involves a life change that brings up fear for that person. And fear areas are usually around safety issues, health issues, career, money, and relationships. Those are the major areas where people really struggle. And isn't it interesting how, I know over the years with my practice as well, that known fear is, we befriend it to a point to where we don't want to let it go because we know how to navigate it. And sometimes I've, I've seen clients hang on to that dear fear versus spending just just a teeny bit of effort letting it go. Mm-hmm. And with yoga, you, you really have no choice because your body is physically speaking to you. So I'm, I, I have no doubt it's a wonderful catalyst for people to kind of face their facts. Mm-hmm. I find the more you you do yoga, the less tolerant you become of the, as I call it, the icky stuff in your life the easier it is to take a step. I believe Tony Robbins is the one who said, you'll make a change when the pain of not doing it becomes greater than the pain of doing it. (laughs) And it becomes more effortless the more you evolve. You're like, I don't want, I can't do this anymore. This isn't good enough anymore. Right. Not good enough. And that yucky stuff is what we're going to get into. Now, this whole stuck thing, it can be a nasty cycle. You may feel stuck at work, So you get stuck in a relationship at home. You're stuck in a relationship at home. You may not be wanting to, for lack of a better word, move up and move on because that may threaten your partner or your your kids or your parents. So there's a nasty cycle that by getting into a physical program will help break the ice, so to speak. And I must, must advocate for going to a class because, ladies and gentlemen, I've seen a number of people who purchase a video or purchase a CD or DVD on how to learn yoga, and they'll start doing yoga at home. And I'm curious, Laura, Laura, have you found that people who start out their yoga practice by kind of by TV, that they may have adopted some techniques that they've got to unlearn? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. But, you know, I will say this. There is two things, two comments around that. One is it is still better than nothing. You know, if someone feels they can't afford to come to class to take a really easy yoga video and you're still going to get something out of it. You're still going to get the benefits of yoga. Um, And occasionally I have someone who has beautiful yoga and they learned it from a video. It's just absolutely remarkable. Um, I do, as a professional, I highly recommend a class because there are ways you can hurt yourself. And to have a well-trained teacher is, is really quite indispensable. Perfect. Yes. Definitely. So let's dive into question number one about the whole stuck thing. How do you know you're stuck? What do you see as that number one red flag as being stuck? Sometimes we don't even know we're stuck. I know, and I was thinking too, it's, it's, what does it mean to be stuck? You know, when I was contemplating what we're going to talk about, because there have been times in my life when I feel I'm stuck, when really I was in a plateau, it, plateau place where I need to be building strength, to take because the next thing that was coming was really big. Mm, mm, so I think mm, it's intriguing. Mm-hmm. I think this is such a great question. How do you know when you're stuck? Because sometimes it's a rest point. 
which is absolutely critical that I see a lot of people forgetting. And and I'm going to make a bit of a generalization statement here against my own tribe. I've noticed a lot <laughs> of guys they they have their their to do list and they they get done with something really huge. They've they've accomplished something really huge. They check it off their list and they move right on to the next one. No rest, no celebration, no rewards. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen that? Absolutely, and actually, I'm I'm guilty of that one myself. <laughs> really. <laughs> There is this great book out there. It's called The Power of Full Engagement by Jim Lohr, L-O-E-H-R. Okay. And the reason I say it is it's a spectacular book, particularly for men. He really is talking about the law of attraction and, and, and stepping out of your box, but without actually saying that. And he works hmm. with a lot of corporate executives. He has a, a lab in a clinic in Orlando, and he works with a lot of executives and he works with a lot of professional athletes. And what he talks about is every time you step out of your box and you do something big, and a part of that might be achieving a goal, you need to regroup because you come back stronger. It's much He, he, he uses the analogy constantly about comparing it to exercise. When you exercise and you do something to really, to really push your body, you need a day or two to relax and to let your body rest in order to come back stronger. When you just keep going, 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 and one goal after the other, one goal after the other, without stopping and, one, reflecting and enjoying it, like you just said, um, and, two, just resting because of the energy output, you just drain yourself. So, yes, I'm, I'm actually quite guilty of that. I'll just say, okay, there it is, done, <laughs> click, keep going. Well, I, I'm I, glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> my, I have a company called Musalon, and... Um, it's a company I founded with four other women, and and they're actually the ones who keep saying, okay, Laura, stop, enjoy for a moment. You did something great. You know, we've done something great. Let's just look at it and enjoy it for a while before we go running into the next thing. Mm, I like your partners. I like your partners. It's that wonderful perspective. Yes. I, I think one of the things that's interesting as feeling stuck, especially if you happen to be self-employed, solo entrepreneur, that sort of thing, we sometimes miss the perspective of what we've actually done. And it takes those partners to go, excuse me? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when you find that partner that balances you, it's such a gift. And that's, you know what, and maybe that's a way of figuring out when you're stuck. I think partners and people who know you well can help you with that. Perfect segue into kind of recognizing the differences between resting and plateauing and integrating, which is absolutely key after any growth cycle, and then after that resting and savoring and integrating period, there comes that moment where I I call it the growth itch begins to happen. There's this little voice, this little antsy kind of like next kind of creeps in. Have you found that yourself? Absolutely. (laughs) How does that look to you, and how do you begin to recognize that in some of your clients? Well, you know, I think it's interesting because with my clients, they all go through distinct periods of rest, and and often we coach right through it, you know, where it's it's like we need, you you just did a whole lot, and now it's time to just do do a lot of self-care and renewal. Mm Um, others, it's like that's when we're done. And then about six months later, they come back. And there's that feeling 
of, and they know it, because, because especially once you've been coached for a while, you definitely get this feeling of, okay, yeah, I'm ready for more now, because I felt that leap, and that was so much fun, and now it's, life is, you know, maybe boredom is a piece of it. Oh, you're feeling that's bored, another word, or, topics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or stale would be another word, or... You know, there are times I look at things and I think, okay, not good enough now. And not from a place of ingratitude. It's like I love what I have. I love my home. I love my family. I love my work. And I also know I'm capable of more. And now I have the strength and I'm ready to take that next step for that more. Perfect. How do you do that? What is your preferred way of – well, let's start from scratch. You know – let's say you know you're stuck. You, You definitely know you're stuck. And some of my symptoms of stuckness is when I wake up in the morning and it's like, oh, I really would rather have another couple hours of sleep. <laughs> or I just, you know, I don't really want to get out of bed. Or I don't feel all that motivated because it's like the same old, same old. So that's probably my first cue that there's a kick in the pants needed, so to speak. From that point, it's at the perfect time, I, even though I am a coach for people, I have a coach too. And I will call a couple of people up and say, okay, here's the deal. This is where I'm at, suggestions, and off we go. Now, is that something similar that you do in your style? That you get a person calling up and saying, you know what, I have an itch. I think it's time to grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's intriguing, though, for those people who don't know they're stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's also interesting, and I and and of course, you know, I just had a thought. I don't know, Sol. What do you think? That I wonder if most of us are stuck unless we are on a conscious upward path. Do you well, think there's a level of that? more spiritual stuff, and I would concur. Um, one's awareness, uh, level of awareness. That's a really personal thing. It is, isn't because it? I do know I've met some senseis who, from all external appearances, you would think that she or he really isn't doing all that much. Mm-hmm. However, when you engage them, you begin to see that what you thought was a shallow pond is truly an, a, a bottomless depth of, of, of wisdom. A deep so well. A deep well. So it's, it's a dicey thing. I think mm-hmm. the stuck part is the... There's this, if we don't grow, I remember reading this one book, uh, Into the Cool, The Thermal Dynamics of Life. Very chewy book. It's one of those you kind of read a few pages and go, okay, brain full, got to set it down now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's kind of like your typical bell curve sort of thing. In the beginning of learning, there's that feeling of dread, I can't do it. And then you get into it, you realize you can do it. Then you get to the top of the bell curve and you really begin to master it and integrate it. And then as you kind of come down the other side of that hill, you begin to integrate rest, so forth and so on, until you're ready for your next ride. The book was commenting that if we don't take the opportunity to start learning again, we actually start digressing. We kind of go backwards sort of thing. And... It's that fine line of knowing when to say, hmm, you're ready for more? And is this Reverend Ely? Yes, it is. I'm excited. I'm very excited. Laura, this is Reverend Ely. He contacted me about some of the work we're doing on that whole kind of concept of 
of worth, and he himself is working on this topic. And Reverend Ely, I'm very delighted to have with us Laura, who is an integrative life coach and yoga uh, yogi. I'm assuming you're a yogi, true? Oh, yeah. Laura? I thought so. After 20 years, I would. <laughs> I think I'm defining myself as a yogini, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm glad Reverend Ely is. Uh, we were just talking on our last show about um, the whole concept of worth and so forth. And Reverend, you were talking about how you'd like to have a few words about where folks find themselves stuck with or feeling bored or needing to move on. You want to chime in on that topic and then we'll begin to integrate all of our, our various expertise. Well, yeah, this uh, where, where people find themselves stuck often is in trying to really define work and your overall book, the whole concept of work is just a powerful kind of all-encompassing concept, and it's one that is really right on point today, of course, with the economy. Today's New York Times has an article that's entitled, The Rise of the Super-Rich Hits a Sobering Wall, and it's a, just a powerful article, and it's a long article, but it's basically saying that the super rich uh, are, many of them are losing significant amounts of their wealth. Um, and one paragraph in, in the article says, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, the heirs to the Walmart stores fortune, and the founders of Google each lost billions last year, according to Forbes magazine. In one stark example, John McAfee, an entrepreneur who founded the antivirus software company that bears his name, is now worth about $4 million from a peak of more than $100 million. Mr. McAfee will soon auction off his last big property because he needs cash to pay his bills after having been caught off guard by the simultaneous crash in real estate and stocks. I mean, it goes on to say a lot of other things, and it says, one day he realized, as he said, whoa, my cash is gone. Um, and, and, you know, that's just a critical telling marker of the time that we're in, where people's whole concept of what they're worth is now being called into question. And so this whole issue of, you know, people are stunned by what they're worth. Um, and in our book, The Prayer Guarantee, on page 77 of that book, there's a paragraph that speaks to that very issue. And we talked about it the other day on your show, um, that's all about value perception, that we've all placed our value on material things, worth. When people are drawn to you just because of who you are, separated from all of your material stuff, now isn't that really where we want to be, at a place mm. where people are drawn to you 
just because of who you are. Really what we're all doing is we're getting closer to our authenticity, who we really are authentically. And the more authentic we are, as you've been talking about, Reverend, the less we need to do, or let me rephrase, the less we feel we need to do, be, or have in order to bring people into our lives and to, we don't, we just are ourselves. And I think what happens is, especially when we are, when we know what we're supposed to do and we're, we're living our gift, because we all have a gift to share with the world, and when we're living our gift, and which is following our bliss, as Joseph Campbell used to say, then you're being incredibly authentic. And when you're doing that, it gives other people permission to do the same. There's a little plaque I have on my wall, because I have little things all over my walls. And one of the things I have on my wall, it says, it might be helpful if we could learn that the main purpose in our lives is not to do or to enjoy but to become. Mm, absolutely. Now that is pretty chewy. Let's break that down because let's let's look at this from a standpoint of someone just beginning to crack their egg of awareness, meaning they're breaking outside of their box. They're breaking outside of a nine to five routine that might have been decades in the making, and they know that there's something more out there, but they're not sure how to access it. Where do we begin? First of all, people always think that they have to do something to impress people around them. So we could tell them, stop it. Just stop it. Okay, how do you stop it? You stop it. Sometimes we try to make things too complicated. And I mean, I've spent a lot of years in the psychological fraternity. So when I say that, I mean, I have a lot of background in saying, just stop it. You know how Nike says, just do it? (laughs) What I'm saying is, just don't do it, (laughs) you know. And then just stop it, you know. You're saying, Reverend, the, the whole stop it meeting is, if I find myself, purposefully trying to impress someone. Maybe I'm dropping names or maybe I'm dropping degrees or I'm doing something where I'm trying to impress somebody. You're saying just cut that out. Well, let me give you a specific example. There's a young fellow that used to spend a lot of time around me, okay? And I used to say to him, you know, you spend a lot of your time trying to impress me with how smart you are. And you know the times when I literally learn from you are the times when you are not trying to impress me. Those are the times I learned from you. And he said, huh? And I learned some very profound things from you. But there are the times when you're not trying to show me how smart you are. There are the times when you are totally unaware that you're being my teacher. Those are the times when you are being my teacher. He said, really? I said, really? That's what I mean. That's a perfect real-life example of what I mean. We have people with whom we're really comfortable and relaxed, and then we are with people who drain our energy, or we feel like we need to pretend something when we're with that person, and that's the inauthentic side of us. And to focus more on where you feel authentic, how does it feel to be that way? What is it I do when I'm feeling authentic? What is it, um, what is it I say? Who am I with? 
and focus on that and to really do a lot of that. And what I find happens then is you easily let go of all that trying. And you stop, as you said, Reverend, you actually stop doing those things that you don't need to do. Yeah, and what I hear you saying is that you can then begin to model it when you're around some people that are doing it. Yeah. 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 And get your own practice and how, to, how does it feel for yourself? You know, if I'm with a particular friend who makes me feel very comfortable, what is that person like? You know, I remember yeah. the reason I married my husband was because, I, one, I loved him, obviously, but what I, really, what I really loved even more was who I was and who I am with him. He brought yes. out my authentic self, and I loved yes. that. Yes, yes, yes. Well, now you just came up upon a very powerful key to getting unstuck, is finding that person or persons who unconditionally love you, who kind of water your roots to grow. Absolutely. And, and give you the space then, too. And the encouragement and the, this is good. Yeah, and that's my husband. He's, he was one of my first teachers. You also just said something that's such a key that so many people don't realize about love is that so many people think, you know, that like I've got to wear the right clothes or fix my hair right and all that kind of stuff to make this person love me. And that really has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's how this person makes me feel about myself that's really going to turn the key. Because what you just said was it's how he makes you feel about yourself. Absolutely. That's what really does it. That's Ooh. what really does it. Ooh, now now we're now we're diving into some stuff that could be interesting. For those listening in, I'm wondering how many people have a chorus of voices going on in their head that go kind of like this. We got the perfectionist section, and then we have the judge section, and then we have the critique, which is a little bit different than the judge section, but the critique section is there. Then we have the worry section, and the shame section, and the doubt, and the guilt section. All of these choir members kind of going off in our head that sometimes it's absolutely impossible to hear when someone who truly loves us shares with us how they love us if we're busy critiquing and judging and guilting and shaming. Any thoughts on that? Soul, do you hang out in my head? Because that was scary. <laughs> <laughs> I have all those choir members, too. Oh, and the unity that they sing sometimes, that's frightening. Oh, I'm telling you. But you know what's interesting is, and I'm guessing you both can speak upon this, too, is those choir members get quieter and quieter the more down this path you go. You can stick mm -hmm. them back down into the pinky toe, which is where they belong. You know, they occasionally mm -hmm. they come up to maybe help us see something we're not seeing, and then you, you get to see it, and then you say, okay, and now I'm choosing the path of love. Interesting. Now you're bringing up something that I'm kind of playing with in chapters two and three of my book, and that is a really solid inventory of who are you on the inside. And I give you some ground rules to put those choir members on point such that they have new job descriptions. 
what I've learned in the past, I don't know, tell me if I'm completely off base here, but these choir members have such a long history of how they've done things. It's easy to be stuck because it's as far as the critiquer is concerned or the judger is concerned. That's the way we've done it. That's the way we're going to do it. Thank you very much. I have witnessed how by blessing them, by saying, Judge, thank you for bringing that up. But guess what? We have a new job description now. Here's your new role. You're going to be doing this, this, and this now. Let's go with it. It helps put that, that uh, leverage to the change within, that rewiring within. And I'm curious, Laura, when you, when you have um, some routines that it could be modified for the better for them, and they're kind of, this is the way they do it because this is the way they see themselves, but you know that it could be enhanced. <laughs> How, what, what's your first drip of change to help them shift into moving into a better way of doing something? You know, it's interesting. I had I, because people can. This is again where people can get really stuck doing. And, and I, I frequently challenge my students: don't plop into the pose into the same place you go every time. Because one of the beauties of yoga is you 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 push the envelope of your body. You push the envelope of your consciousness. So when you start taking your body into places it hasn't been before, then you also take your mind into new places as well. And I once had a teacher who was beautiful. He came up to me, and he was pushing, he, was, he just touched my back lightly. I was in a back bend. And he whispered in my ear, you can do it, just believe. And he just, with his finger, he took me deeper into the pose. I mean, I did it. I did the whole thing. He was just showing me how with his finger. He wasn't pushing me into it. He was guiding me. And I thought that was the most gentle and loving Thing a teacher had ever done for me and so I use that one a lot you can do it just believe and then I show them where they can go mm. gentleness and I believe Reverend you also possess this oceans of gentleness in your process yeah love is the word that spirit always uses to remind me that that is how I'm to greet every soul on the planet. And spirit has to remind me of that constantly because I forget. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As we begin to recognize that there's a fine balance between the three phases, recognizing one, we are stuck, two, how to get unstuck, Three, how to integrate the learning that we're taking in as we get unstuck. And then that last balancing act of integrating it, very much integrating it into our life, like breathing. We don't even stop to think about how we breathe. We just breathe. The art of that balance, I'm curious, how do you inspire people to find that balance in your respective uh, paths that you walk with people would like to go first. Do you mean the balance between all those steps? Yes. Oh, that's an intriguing question because we can be changing in several different areas of our life. We could be in a rest place in one area of our life, like our relationship, and then in a growth part in our career. And that's a really intriguing question, Soul. 
to find the balance. Multiphasic. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, then maybe a piece of it is is you don't, you know, I, I want to make sure my relationship with my husband is strong before I take a big step because I need to be in a rest place slash support place there since I'm reaching somewhere else to have that balance, you know, to be really be conscious about that. And then if I'm going to do something with my marriage, to be sure it's at a place where my career is in a plateau where I can just kind of rest there, even coast perhaps, so I can put my attention and my energy somewhere else. Ooh, now that takes some reflective perspectives there. Many times I've watched people create the perfect storm, meaning they're so gung-ho to get unstuck that they end up whirling everything in their life to a point to where it's easy to hit a wall because all of a sudden you've got so much change going on that right. you, you don't see the tsunami coming. <laughs> Absolutely. So brilliant. That's brilliant on, on being mindful of the many different levels. And I've also, Reverend, I'm curious, have you seen in your work with people how one person may start growing rather quickly and either their partner or their family or their someone feels threatened because they're growing that quickly? Well, the majority of my work is just people in general in their own personal growth being stuck, suffering, spiritual <laughs> suffering, I define as people not wanting to move from where they are to where they need to be. That's what suffering is. They know that on the other side of the door jam is a better spiritual place. They don't want to go through the door jam to get there because the pain of where they are is familiar pain, even though mm -hmm. it's pain. And they don't want to go into the abyss. They don't want to go into the unknown. So they don't want to go through the suffering, which is the door jam, to get to the unfamiliar. And so they're stuck. They're stuck in the room of familiar pain of their life, and, and that's what I deal with all of the time. Let's give a simple example. Let's just give a very simple, non-religious example of a person who is constantly not able to pay their bills. They know that there's a better way, but they don't want to go through the process of learning how to manage their finances better. They don't want to go through the suffering of the process of learning how to manage their finances better to get on the other side, to go through that door jam to get to the new room of learning how to manage their finances better. Let's go through the, uh, another simple example of weight, a person who has a weight problem. They're constantly, every day, going through the pain of being overweight, but they don't want to go through the door jam of a weight control program so that they can get on the other side of a better managed body, you know, and I could go on ad infinitum of all kinds of examples of people who are stuck in painful situations, 
Well, now you bring up something where I, and I'm sure we all can nod our heads to this one, is one of the ways to get unstuck is we get to a point that we have no choice. I know for myself, when I was close to 300 pounds, I was quite happy with who I was, thank you very much, up until I had a, a professional say, well, you're, you're welcome to continue on your life as is, but by the way, within three months' time, you most likely will develop type 2 diabetes. And if you're comfortable with that, rock on. And I went, uh-oh, now I got a swift kick. I, I definitely was stuck in a, in a very unhealthy attitude, but now I had, I don't have a choice now. I've painted myself into a corner. I have to do something. I well, how about, how about the people, how about the people who get that kind of news and still continue on? Yeah, and I deal with a lot of people like that who are, you know, who still continue on in death-defying lifestyles because they are so afraid of making the hard choices that they need to make in order to get on the other side of that door jam. You see what I'm saying? Oh, completely. Laura, so, have you run into those, that, that situation as well? Oh, absolutely. I think, I, and frankly, I think we all can find things that might not be death-defying things that we're doing, but things that are truly not for our higher conscious benefit that we continue and just we're just not in a place where we're ready to to walk through that door jam. It takes a tremendous amount of personal power to walk through any door jam. I don't care how big or little it is. To make changes that you're actually going to stick with and is that takes some strength to do and when I when I come up upon it and someone someone steadfastly wants to maintain their behavior, I have one of two choices. To Support them with love unconditionally or step away from their life because, and sometimes I choose, it can be different ones. I've actually had, I had a client once who told me after we've been coaching for two years and she hadn't really budged much that she was addicted to marijuana and I chose to leave. I said, when you're done with the illegal behavior, I will return to coaching you, but I didn't feel comfortable being a codependent for her and her habit. Um, so there are times when I choose that, but I think I don't think we can sit in judgment of them because it'll just keep them stuck. It's like the only support we can give is either unconditional or none at all, and to leave 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 their life. We all can make changes. We choices. We all we all have free will, so we can choose to stay or choose to go. But if we choose to stay, we need to do that in a place of standing from a place of love. Laura, when you brought up that juicy C word, that, that choice word, I start out painting what I'm worth with what I call one of the best-kept secrets in the world. Absolutely the best-kept secret in the world. And the best-kept secret is we have always the gift of divine choice. Always. Absolutely. Yeah. We may not think about it at the time. We may not think we have a choice. There are social rules that sometimes get applied. Well, you know, I'm a mother. I can't just walk away from my relationship. I'm, I'm a this. I'm a that. I just can't. Wait a minute. Yes, you do. You do mm -hmm. have a choice. I once had a teacher. Well, I still have her. She's still one of my teachers who said, and I loved this. This was actually probably about 15 years ago when I first learned about choice. She said, if someone holds a gun to your head and says, your money or your life, you have a choice. It's not a good choice, but it's a choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and you have to make the choice fairly quickly. behavior 
I mean, I could go on for hours and hours really exploring and developing that. And it's displayed in anger and jealousy and all kinds of things, but it's actually fear-based behavior. And the antithesis of that, the opposite of that, is love-based behavior. Love builds up people. It supports people. It encourages people. It strengthens people. It encourages people. It makes people authentic. It does all of those kinds of things that fear does the opposite of. And more of what I'm curious in, in the fear versus love component, I have no doubt that as a person walks into your yoga studio for the very first time in their life, they have never, ever taken a yoga class ever before. Would you say that there's just maybe a drip or two of fear? Oh, my goodness, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I give them so much credit for even stepping their foot in. In the few minutes we have left, help us step through your yoga studio store. How do you encourage people to take that leap of faith and come in and start taking some classes. Frankly, I think it still it goes right back to so takes us full circle to where we started when the Reverend joined us, and that is just being authentic. I love what I do. I love what I do, and I frankly know I'm really good at it. And mm-hmm. I am just so authentic when someone comes in that if if we resonate, they're going to be really comfortable. And and if they meet me on the street, and they, in fact, so many people, they'll meet me randomly. Something they say, I've always wanted to do yoga. Once they meet me, they say, Okay, now I'm comfortable. Not everyone, because they don't resonate with me, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But the people who mm-hmm. do resonate with my authentic self easily can walk in after that. What final words or thoughts would you have to offer those listening about taking steps to becoming more fully engaged in life? I think I can do a really quick one, and that is focus on what you do well, what you love doing, where you feel the happiness, and the most deep, truly soul-nourishing joy. Mm, yummy. You can never go wrong. Laura, I'd like to have you back sometime soon, if that's an option for you. I would love to. I've had so much fun, Soul. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting me. Likewise. Thank you for diving in and sharing your wisdom, and we will touch base soon. I wish you well this evening. I wish you well as well. And Reverend, any thoughts before we begin to wrap up? Well, I think I would just say what I wrote in response to this New York Times article today about the uh, super rich losing their money. My uh, final paragraph said, perhaps these challenging economic times provide all of us with a marvelous opportunity to examine our values. Can we continue to hold on to things made of Teflon, or can we try to find something that is really permanent? What is success, really? All right. Reverend Laura, I imagine me bowing before you with great gratitude. It helps firms up the abs as well. <laughs> My pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. And for those listening in, you have the ability to leave your comments here on the bottom of this webpage where you found this show. Please do leave your thoughts 
and comments and read other people's thoughts and comments. We all have wisdom to share. That's the goal of this. The more wisdom we share, the more we can help each other learn and grow with ease and grace. And with that, I bid everyone good evening or good morning, depending on what part of the world you're in. I look forward to having a dance with you next week, same time, same place. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.